This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Well, hello, podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in today. You know, when we talk about nonprofits struggling with fundraising, typically we focus on solutions that address just the fundraising aspects of that organization. But oftentimes, perhaps most of the time, if a nonprofit is really struggling with fundraising, it's not just a fundraising challenge. It's an organization-wide challenge. So the solution to solving the issue is much deeper and more systemic than just fixing the fundraising department. So here to talk more about this is Donald Summers, who has recently just written the book, Scaling Altruism. We will talk about his comprehensive step-by-step guide to scaling social impact for any nonprofit organization. Enjoy today's show. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you help others with the best donation forms in the business. Well, welcome to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. It's so great to have Donald Summers on today to talk all about his book and some of the methodologies he's learned over 20 years of experience. Donald, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so pleased to be here and and discuss how we can help nonprofits make the world a better place. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's fun just briefly talking to you before the show started. And I'm excited just for your passion and your commitment to really help nonprofit leaders get better. And so let's dive right into that. So for many nonprofits, and I think particularly those that are smaller, just keeping the doors open, right? And surviving is quite the accomplishment. Now, one of the goals though of your new book is, as I understand it, is was to offer some clear step-by-step guidelines to sustainable growth so that nonprofits of all sizes cannot just survive, but really thrive. So let's start with the genesis of this book. What prompted you to write it in the first place? We are getting such good results with clients. I came into the field as a nonprofit fundraiser. I'd worked as a foundation executive. I'd raised many millions of dollars and was open to consultancy to help nonprofits grow and get past their management, their governance, their program challenges. And I used a different toolkit. I paid more attention not to the current nonprofit literature, but I looked at what entrepreneurial organizations were doing across all types of organizations, right? What do all high-performing organizations have in common? So we created a, a synthesis of various growth and performance tools, and we had incredible results. We had a median annual growth rate of 25% that we were getting consistently. Not just a pop and drop like a capital campaign, but it was something that actually wrapped in program, governance, team building, culture. It was an operating system. Hundreds of deployments, uh, many years of labor. But the first challenge was to be able to eat our own cooking, right? So if we tell nonprofits, hey, there's an opportunity for you to get your work to scale. And we're really good at it. We're we're capable of helping you get your work to scale. Then it's, Dr. Heal thyself, what are you doing to get your own work to scale? If I can help one or two nonprofits, the challenge for us is to be able to help 
a hundred and then a thousand and then I'll help the whole sector. So we looked at the, the literature. There's lots of great books, lots of great practices. Where there's a gap is making it clear and practical and easy to implement. And how, to, how do you operationalize not just one set of practices in, say, fundraising or governance or marketing or team building or culture? How do you bring them all together? So that was the genesis of the book. And that's where we are today. I'm, I'm glad to say it's complete and, and we're just rolling it out now. Yeah. Well, it's exciting. Well, let's talk about a couple of things you've mentioned because you bring up a lot of interesting things in your book. Now, one of the more alarming stats you include in your book was the fact that the mistrust towards nonprofits seems to be a major driver behind a collapse, really, in charitable donations from small donors, individuals who make up, say, 98% of all nonprofit supporters. In fact, you mentioned in 2021, fewer than half of American households gave to charity. Now, this is down two-thirds only a decade ago. So only a decade ago, it was two-thirds higher than it is today. So how have nonprofits broken the trust of the community and how do they rebuild that trust? Well, I can offer some tentative suggestions. I certainly don't claim to have an authoritative view on why this collapse in individual giving is happening. I agree with you. It's very alarming. I can take some, some stabs at it. First of all, there have been some very, very high-profile scandals at nonprofits which show how bad management can cause problems. Perhaps the biggest is chronicled in ProPublica, the public interest, the muckraking journal, fantastic organization. They chronicle how when Gail McGovern took over the Red Cross, they brought business-style leadership, which we applaud, but they didn't bring a lot of integrity. They chronicled her lying to Congress, um, misspending tens of millions of dollars and being evasive, not being transparent, accountable. Another extreme example of that is Donald Trust Charity, which was a boiler room operation. So when you hear about these scams and then you have the New York Times causing problems, they destroyed the, you know, did great damage to the Wounded Warrior Project, a, a subject you were just experts on. So high profile stories of charitable mismanagement doesn't help, number one. Number two, the way too many charities engage in what we call transactional fundraising, haranguing people for money, using emotion, talking about the need. There's a lot of donor fatigue out there. If you do something too many times, people become fatigued. We have fundraising efforts like Giving Tuesday, it's a nice idea, but it packs all of these appeals into one day and execution-wise, it doesn't work. And it creates all, you get 100 inbox appeals and you know I can't support them all. There's also, so I'd say nonprofits have to get away from the treating people like cash machines, taking them to events, asking for money, and then not showing their impact. So donor fatigue, transactional fundraising, high-profile uh, scams. And then I think if, if anyone hasn't read the book, Ken Stern, the former CEO of NPR, wrote a book with Charity for All. Uh, and I talk about that in the introduction to my book. It is a searing indictment of the failure of too many nonprofits to fulfill their promises. They talk about a big need, they accept money, and they don't deliver on results. And I'm, I'm not disparaging all nonprofits, but and I'm not the one who's saying this. It's Ken Stern. But you know the the uh, it, the collective impact of all of this on people's trust 
certainly can't be positive. And I would suggest those are some of the drivers that uh, nonprofits have to be aware of. And, you know, building trust and, and, and creating a different narrative of transparency and accountability and, and high performance is what our methodology is all about. No, well said. Thanks for giving me a bit of that history. And and yeah, I think all those points are well said. Okay, now, I know you're a big believer that the struggles of nonprofits really have, when it comes to fundraising specifically, is not just a fundraising challenge. It's really an organizationally wide challenge. So it's really often about the infrastructure. It's the organization itself. It's not just the wing of fundraising. So would you say the majority of nonprofits are struggling with outdated, ineffective development approaches? Or is it deeper? Is it more systemic of a bigger problem? Talk a little bit more about what really is at the root of this. Well, really insightful comment. There's cultural issues, there's structural issues, there's knowledge barrier issues. But the first and most important thing to remember is nonprofits aren't the only type of organizations that are struggling. Getting getting people to work together as a team is really hard, period. This is not unique. There's so many for-profit businesses that are struggling. So consider this statistic. Only 4% of for-profit businesses ever break past a million dollars. So, you know, 75% of the U.S. economy are small businesses. So people say, oh, nonprofits are small. That's normal, right? Very difficult to get past a team of 10 people that do anything. You really have to understand organizational dynamics, how to build teams. There's a science behind it. So, yeah, it's, it's not a problem unique to nonprofits. And then what we've done is instead of, again, looking at how nonprofits solve it and using, there are some theories, some nonprofit approaches that we feel are less productive. When you talk about things like theory of change, when you talk about logic models, how nonprofits write their strategic plans, and how they, their subsistence fundraising, you know, going after grants and running galas, there's a lot of things that the nonprofits are socialized to do because everybody else does them. There's all the social proof. Those are pathways to subsistence living, right? But look look at the cultural problems. If you call yourself a nonprofit, you're immediately going down the path of confusing your tax status with your business model, right? So getting nonprofits to understand that they can access the toolkit of look beyond the sector and the typical tools. If you look more broadly, and that's what we try to do in the book, hey, here's everything that works and we've proven it can work for nonprofits. It's different, different language. We find that it's, it's more effective. We, we talk about, here's another problem, one we see constantly. And when I, when I talk to a, a nonprofit I meet for the first time, I say, who in your staff or on your board has ever grown a company before, for or nonprofit? Have they been to the growth rodeo before? Because it's hard, right? You've all you've got subject matter expertise. There's experts in homelessness or or arts, education, healthcare, media, you name it. The nonprofit sector is filled with with program experts, but they often undervalue people who are organizational growth specialists. So that's why they stay small. And, and there's there's one last thing that that's culture gap is profound, and I've called it the myth of uniqueness. Nonprofits suffer from the myth of uniqueness. Their leaders are well-meaning people; they're trying their best, but they suffer. And I see this day to day. They think nonprofits are unique types of organizations, 
and that the principles and practices that help other types of organizations, oh, they don't apply at all. Powerful myth. So consider a quote by the founder and former CEO of the Nonprofit Finance Fund. She says the nonprofit sector, and I'm quoting her directly from an article. This is, this is incredibly surprising to me. She says, and I quote, the nonprofit sector is a new and irrational world, like stepping through a looking glass. The rules, when they apply at all, are reversed. The science of money turns topsy-turvy. Not only are nonprofit rules that govern money and therefore business dynamics different from those in the for-profit sector, they are unknown even among nonprofits and their funders. Now, this is a leader in the field, in a leading publication that says you're a totally different alien animal. And I'm here to say with respect, it's hard to be respectful of concepts that are just wrong. Not generally accepted accounting principles, you know, business management practices. Yes, there's no equity. The ownership structure is a little different from some taxation issues. But you you share that with a CPA who works with nonprofits and she'll her brain will explode. <laughs> Good point. Here's another one. And this is another example of the culture gap. And I hope I'm not going on too long because this is a profoundly important point. Jim Collins, I adore Jim Collins. He wrote Good to Great, Great by Choice. He's an amazing thinker. The myth of uniqueness bamboozles even someone as wise and intelligent as Jim Collins. This is how strong this myth is. He wrote this coda to his good to great. He said, good to great for the social sector, why business thinking is not the answer. And I'll quote him directly. Business executives can more easily fire people and equally important, they can use money to buy talent. Social sector leaders must rely on people underpaid relative to the private sector or in the case of volunteers, not paid at all. In the social sectors, big incentives are simply not possible. This is factually incorrect. It's fact, for example, Charity for All has an equity pool. Look at the nonprofits paying football coaches giant sums of money, right? Washington State, you're an at-will employer, whether you're a for-profit or a for-profit. So people, even someone as knowledgeable as, as you, you, get, you get the point. There's all of these myths. Dan Pilatus talks about the overhead myth, underinvestment. So what I want to do is stop talking about that and say, let's put all the myth-making aside. Let's put aside all the discussion about what's for-profit, non-profit. Those are things that divide us. What we show in the book is practices that work and that for-profits and non-profits have so much more in common than they have that separates them. And here's a set of practices that work. And we get out of the cultural debate, we get out of the theoretical discussion, and we get into proven, practical, clear solutions that work. But it just required looking beyond the, the normal space and breaking some of the assumptions that, that we tend to take for granted. We'll be right back. Are you looking for an easy and effective way to boost your nonprofit's donations? Look no further than DonorBox, the online fundraising platform that streamlines your fundraising efforts, maximizes donations, and simplifies giving for your supporters. With DonorBox, you can create beautiful donation forms, accept digital wallet payments, track donations, and send auto receipts. And the best part? 
There are no setup or monthly fees and no long-term contracts required. So what are you waiting for? Visit DonorBox.org today to get started. That is DonorBox.org. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. I wanted to let you know that I've recently become a professionally certified coach. With my nearly 30 years of nonprofit experience, I know firsthand how hard leaders work. I also know how important it is to have someone you can call on to get help with the barriers and leadership challenges you will face both professionally and personally. I really want people to thrive and become all they were meant to become by providing coaching and consulting services. If coaching is something you've always been interested in, but weren't quite sure what it was all about, I encourage you to reach out. You can go to my website, robharder.com, or just email me at rob at robharder.com. I would be happy to provide a free sample coaching session so you can determine if coaching is for you. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing all those things. And let's zero in then on fundraising a bit. One of the things you point out in your book also is that grant applications that many nonprofits produce are actually really exciting. They have world-changing potential in terms of their goals and their aspirations. However, at the same time, the applications lacked clear goals. They didn't have a sound strategy. They didn't have clear performance indicators, let alone a, a means of sustainable financing. So talk more about that. How are nonprofits falling short in their process of seeking financial support? Well, there's, again, a great variance in when you're talking about nonprofits, you're talking about a large population. And when I talk when I, in the book, I'm saying there's a small co. First of all, you have the hospitals and universities and major institutions that are very sophisticated, powerful nonprofits, functionally not different than any global multi-billion dollar corporation. Now, you also have, a, and as I talk about in the book, there's a small set of nonprofits that started and got to scale very quickly with tremendous impact. Teach for America, KIPP, City Year, uh, you name it. So what I'm trying to communicate to all the nonprofits that are struggling is you don't have to struggle. There's a clear methodology and there's a, let's use the playbook that works. And so you have to stop playing whack-a-mole and solving problems one at a time. You need to be knowledgeable about how to run a team, how to build an organization. So again, you have subject matter experts who in their grants. And I was a foundation CEO for a short period of time. I read the grant applications and our, my firm has grant writers. We write them for our, our clients. But we know that you see the subject matter expertise, you see the solution, but you, what you don't often see is evidence of that ability to deliver accurate evidence-based results that are independently verified. So there's good programmatic analytics. You don't know about how the organization is going to achieve sustainable financing. There's earned, contributed, and invested income. You have to have money from individuals, foundations, corporations, government agencies. There's impact capital space, right? You have to have investment in great people. And Dan Pallott and others, you know, martyrdom is a common HR strategy. So if you're taking you know, the, if you, you can't compete for best talent, so all of this has to come together, right? So, in, in as we've seen, and through being inside, hundreds and hundreds of nonprofits. And I can't tell you, I love my job. Nonprofit people are true altruists. They, I love working with them. And it's so joyful when you can unleash their full potential by giving them a toolkit for growth, 
But it, it's very clear to me that the actual knowledge of, of how to get an organization built really needs to be far better centered in the day-to-day. And that's, that's what we're trying to, to work yeah, no, well said. And I think that's what, you know, in your book, you offer a step-by-step guide to a nonprofit management system really for sustainable growth. And you also provide a complete toolkit of templates and resources that nonprofits can use to apply this actual management system. So maybe you can highlight a couple of those, maybe the two most important steps that you share in the book for my listeners. Well, there's seven chapters. I'll, I'll talk about chapter two, which is alignment. So, and there's a little thought experiment that I give people. And this is, this is the listeners can go do this with their own nonprofits. Go into a board meeting and have, give everybody a post-it notepad and say, write down our goals and our strategies for achieving our goals, right? And compare notes. Can people fit? First of all, if you can't fit it on a post-it note, you're doing something wrong. You really need to be report. And two, are people aligned on your strategies? Most people, even in the for-profit business, don't even know what a strategy is. They confuse it with a goal and an objective. Right. So, first of all, do the people governing the organization are they all in sync? Rarely are they. So, before you get to fundraising, before you get to business planning, before you have to make sure that your leaders are aligned on not just a goal and a strategy, but financing how we're going to get there. So, we do a lot of work in alignment. And then we have a whole chapter on business planning, which is what an actual business plan is supposed to contain. And and I won't go into that because it's very technical. But then we have a chapter on testing. And one of the things that we encourage all of our clients to do is get your plans to 80% good. Be very specific and transparent about what you're going to do, how you're going to pay for it, how you're going to measure your results, who's going to be on your team, who you're going to partner with. And then take it out to stakeholders in your community and ask them, what do you think? Genuinely ask for feedback and be prepared to take that feedback. Be able to take that feedback and shape what you're doing and and figure out how to align. So many organizations talk about how they're partnered with people, but that's mostly just lip service. We're talking about creating true collaboration where you're you're, you're bringing your stakeholders into the kitchen with you. You're not putting them on the menu and trying to sell them. It's that bake sale mentality. We're going to come up with a plan and we're going to sell it. We're going to come up with a need and we're going to sell it. We, we really copy a lot. We take a lot from the, the, what the for-profit calls you know, market discovery and customer analysis. And we take some of those basic entrepreneurial tools and we show nonprofits how that same general principle can help inform your plans. And so by the time you actually start to raise money and then, then execute, because that's incredibly different set of uh, practices. One final piece is let's imagine you have all the money. What most organizations do is then forget about the plan. The plan goes on the shelf, they get the money, and then they go back to operating the same way. So uh, a final feature, and I might be at three here. I apologize if I'm going over there. It's executing with focus and discipline using this is the number one barrier. Planning is, is 5% of it. It's execution with fidelity and staying focused on a small basket of, of what we call key performance indicators, KPIs. Uh, and we show how that whole process informed the incredible success of Janice Avery at Treehouse, who achieved this moonshot in the world. No one thought that we could double graduation rates for foster kids. That's the message that I want folks to to really get out of this. 
We've talked a lot about strategy. We talked a lot about theory. We talked about cultural barriers. Nonprofits are using this work to change the world in dramatic ways that people don't think possible. And, and that's that optimism. That's what we want to get out. Yeah. Well, the methodology you're promoting, as you've mentioned in your book and on your website, is said to have catalyzed sustained 25% annual increases in nonprofit revenue and program impact. Now, that's impressive across the board. And now, tell us how has your methodology really become so successful? What's been your secret sauce? Hard work and tenacity, and, and we've stayed at it for 15 years. As I write in the book, I was very successful when I was a staff person. I had multi-million dollar campaigns. We turned organizations around. And then when I became a consultant, I had some great successes, but I also had a lot of failures. And boy, that took care of any sort of overconfidence if I ever had coming into an organization and just failing to have an impact. Every consultant knows it. They don't really like to talk about it, but very humbling. And every time I failed, I, you know, I took the advice of all my mentors and say, this is just an opportunity. Failure is an opportunity for you to inform your strategy, right? So we expect you to fail. So I described paddling my little methodological rowboat. I hit a rock. I sank. I patched the hole. You do that over and over again through now hundreds of deployments. And really about five years ago, when I first started writing the book, we realized that we had something, a seven-phase process that was working, that was mission agnostic. So it's taken all of that testing and evaluation, and we we weren't ready to share it until it was getting that consistent results. And, and now it is. So it's basically an ecosystem, right? So, you know, here's one of the big things, though. One, and we point this out in the book this ecosystem demands personal qualities of the leaders. It's scary. It demands risk tolerance. And if you're, if you're not, if you're afraid of looking bad, right, you've got to get into the mindset of if you fail, you be honest with your stakeholders that we fail. How many times as a nonprofit say we tried this initiative and failed? We teach our clients this is an opportunity to build trust because everybody hides their failures. Right? You, your failure is an opportunity for you to try again and inform your strategy with a different approach. Right? So if you're scared to look bad, follow Janice Avery's example. She tried for two and a half years to move foster child graduation rates off 40%. Worked with the top people, worked with all these PhDs, spent millions of dollars. You know what her evaluation said? It didn't even move at a percentage point. Total failure. Then they, after that, they still set a goal to double graduation rates. I mean, what incredible courage between her and her team. Her, her uh, lieutenant at the organization, Don Rains, is, is now the CEO. They have, it's an incredible organization that's now much bigger. and. And then they're, they're, this methodology is propagating across the United States. We know how to get foster kids through school now. But it required Janice's fiercely, what they call fierce optimism. Those characteristics are all, you know, gosh, many nonprofit leaders, I believe, have that fierce optimism, but it, it, they, you know, they don't know how to activate it. So being able to activate and give a vehicle for Janice's and other nonprofit leaders, again, uh, we, we've now done this dozens of times with with other types of organizations and many different 
fields. We talk about courage to undertake the work, optimism that could believe you can solve the problem, grit, urgency, focus, discipline. Those personal qualities are what we can't create, but we are big believers that there's so many of these people in the space. If they just had the methodology, they could, they could activate their, their true personal qualities. So that, but that's what it takes. This is not easy. We say that in the book over and over, you know, use terms like the growth rodeo. It's, it's not for everybody. I like the growth rodeo. That's a great term. Well, there's no doubt that today's nonprofits are experiencing fierce competition, really, for financial resources and human capital. I think a couple of reasons why I feel like it's gotten even more intense is due to um, giving by corporations and individuals has gone down, not to mention that volunteering has gone down across the country. So as we look at the current climate that nonprofits really are operating within, what in your mind are the biggest challenges that leaders of nonprofits really will face this year? And maybe we can even look into the next three years. Well, here's where there's a lot of good data. Funding is top of everybody's list, right? And that's why you know we provide a solution to funding. But the first message is if you just talk about fundraising, you're in trouble. You have to look at organization-wide. So I just want to make sure that folks land on that. You can't look at issues in silos. So funding's on the top of everybody's list. Staff pay, right? Because there's terrible gaps. So, but what do you do about that? That's at the top of everybody's list, and they stay focused on that. But what it does, that that urgency to raise money and that terrible problem with retaining staff, nonprofit council does a survey that, you know, there's half of their respondents can't fill staff positions. So they're in this doom loop. So what do you do about it? You have to go all the way back and first, again, do things in order. Are you all aligned? as a team on what you're kind of trying to do. Are you trying to do too many things? Do you have clear, compelling evidence of your impact? Do you have a clear plan for how you'll use the money? Can you, use, uh, can you pass due diligence? If you use an emotional appeal to people, you'll get $100. You're never going to get a million out of an emotional appeal from most people with that money. They're going to want to do what's known as due diligence. Make sure that you can handle it and that you're, you have the capabilities and the infrastructure and the analytics. But again, that's all the strategic and technical side. The other thing that I know from rich personal experience, the cliche, it's lonely at the top, is so true for nonprofit executives. There can't be a job in the world than being a CEO of a nonprofit. The pay isn't there. It's incredibly stressful. CEOs need support. Uh, they, you know, they have the staff on one side, the board on the other. So what I what we do, you know, is try to provide some coaching and support for CEOs. And we also say, hey, this is a job that requires training. Uh, not just subject, you have the subject matter. Most CEOs know the subject matter. Make sure that you know the, the, have the management support and also take care of your body. <laughs> Get lots of fresh air and exercise. You know, be abstemious, right? You know, our, this work is so difficult. You have to train for it like an athlete. So, you know, it's that CEO self-care and support is an incredible part of every organization's success. So, you know, there's a big human element to it as well. Yeah, like it. Well, again, my guest has been Donald Summers, author of Scaling Altruism. So Donald, if people are listening and they want to find out a little bit more about you or get the book and find out more about the book, where would you send them? Well, I'm, I'm pleased to say if you Google the term scaling altruism, it'll come up all over the place. The book's available everywhere for sale. 
And will the toolkit will be available on the Nonprofit Accelerator website. My firm has altruistaccelerator.org. It's not posted yet. It'll be posted in time for the book's publication on March 6th. Okay. Good stuff. Well, again, thanks for all you're doing, again, to improve the nonprofit sector, provide these great tools, these clear methods, and thanks for putting all the time into this book. I'm very pleased to have this conversation with you. Thanks for the opportunity to share the good news. And I I just want to thank everyone out there for the good work you're already doing. The altruists in the social sector are are some of the, it's the brightest part of what's happening today. There's a lot of bad news and I know news media talks about all the bad stuff, but I want to thank you for highlighting some of the good stuff and highlighting what what brings us together, not what divides us. So thank you uh, very much, Rob, for your, your great work. You bet. Thanks for the kind words and thanks for watching the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community. Find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you help others with the best donation forms in the business.